A scripture for the liturgical season of Easter, taken from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Early on, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Scripture for Easter for Children, taken from Desmond Tutu's Children's Storybook Bible. This section is entitled, Jesus is Alive and is taken from Luke 24 and John 20. Gather your children around as I read this. Two days after Jesus died, Mary and several other women went to the tomb where he had been buried. They were shocked to see that the stone that, that, that had covered the opening had been rolled away. They looked inside. Jesus' body was gone. Two angels in dazzling clothes said, Why are you looking for Jesus here? Jesus is alive. Go and tell the others. So the women rushed to tell the other disciples. At first, no one believed them. A while later, the disciples gathered to talk about what had happened. Suddenly, Jesus stood right in front of them. Peace be with you, Jesus said. The disciples were so frightened, they clutched each other and trembled. But Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. Look at my hands and my feet, touch me. But they still could not believe that Jesus was alive. So Jesus said, give me a piece of fish. He took the fish and ate it, and his followers were convinced Jesus really was alive and back with them again. They were so happy. They laughed and clapped their hands in joy. Dear God, help me to see that Jesus lives. Take a moment and really enter into the scene of these two scripture readings. Again, if you'd like to read them on your own, the sections are found in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. They're read out of the NIV and the NLT, as well as Luke 24. And that was an excerpt from the Children of God Storybook Bible by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Take your children and just um, read that section one or two times again slowly, looking for a word or a phrase that stands out to you, and really ask the Spirit to help illuminate and help you enter into this text, particularly the feeling, the emotions, the thoughts, and just what it would be like to really physically encounter Jesus as alive. Take a moment to do that, to reflect upon that, to pray through that as we enter into this podcast, Empires of Dirt and Grace, a liturgy for Easter. I'd like you to just be welcome to this podcast. My name is Chris Kamalski. I am an audio and visual liturgist who has worked with Third Place for a number of years now, writing and creating, composing liturgy for the church to experience life with Jesus in community throughout the rhythm of the church year. I live in Cape Town with my wife, Maxie, our two-year-old daughter, Mia, who's crying in the background, and our lovely Scottish Terrier, Wally, 
Welcome to this podcast. I hope you have really had a meaningful Easter and you are living in the shadow of the resurrection. I'm excited to ponder that today with you as we get into this podcast. Empires of Dirt and Grace, a liturgy for Easter. Welcome all. Find Carrie Job's incredible version of Forever, one of the best songs to celebrate the resurrection and Easter ever on YouTube, particularly the version that she did with Bethel Music. Gosh, your soul will be lifted high. All rights and re- and um, copyright law goes to her and her alone for such an amazing song. There is no better discipline to enter into the liturgical season of Easter than that of the practice or spiritual discipline of celebration, particularly celebration and worship. An excerpt from Adele Calhoun's incredible resource, The Spiritual Discipline Handbook on the Practice of Celebration. First, a bit of her words. Quote, The world is filled with reasons to be downcast, but deeper than sorrow thrums the unbroken pulse of God's joy a joy that will yet have its eternal day. To set our hearts on this joy reminds us that we can choose how we respond to any particular moment. We can search for God in all circumstances or not. We can seek the pulse of hope and celebration because it is God's reality. Heaven is celebrating. Right now, the cherubim, seraphim, angels, archangels, prophets, apostles, martyrs, and all the company of saints overflow with joy in the presence of their Creator. Every small experience of Jesus with us is a taste of the joy that is to come. We are not alone, and that in itself is reason to celebrate. To abandon ourselves to celebration can feel like a risky thing. What if we are misunderstood or seem to take hard things too lightly? King David was so undignified in his celebration of the Lord that his wife rebuked him 
for his public impropriety. But David replied, quote, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. That's from 2 Samuel 6, 21 and 22. So set your eyes on God as you celebrate and forget how you look. God delights in all kinds of worship. Again, that's an excerpt from Eldal Calhoun's incredible book, The Spiritual Disciplines Practice Handbook and uh, the Practice of Celebration. Some more information on celebration. What's the desire behind or underneath celebration? Well, it's to take joyful, passionate pleasure in God and the radically glorious nature of God's people, word, world, and purposes. Celebration can be defined as a way of engaging in actions that orient the spirit toward worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Delighting in all the attentions and never-changing presence of the Trinity fuels celebration. And that's an especially incredible thing throughout the season of Easter. As Zephaniah 3, verse 17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What does this practice include? Well, according to Calhoun, it includes the identifying and pursuing of things that bring the heart deep gladness and reveling in those things before the Lord. This may include time spent with others, sharing meals, working, serving, worshiping, laughing, listening to music, dancing, and so on. Whatever your heart really finds freedom in the Lord in, if it is a God-honoring thing, this practice includes that. What are some of the God-given fruits that come from a life filled with um, the practice of celebration, particularly in seasons of resurrection like Easter? Well, it includes keeping company with Jesus no matter what happens, living from a mentality of abundance rather than that of scarcity, participating in the celebration and love of the, of the Trinity, and as Zephaniah already said, that verse I just read, rejoicing always in the God who rejoices over you with song. Celebration includes the enjoyment of every good and perfect gift as coming directly from God. It includes the living out of the joy of our salvation, cultivating a spirit of gladness, taking myself or yourself less seriously, freedom from the addictions to criticism or negativity, and having holiday traditions that guide your celebration. All of this stuff is so critical to engage in the practice and the discipline of celebration. A few reflection questions that can help you as you consider your practice of the discipline of celebration in this liturgical season of Easter. Number one, where are you most prone to celebrate God? Is it alone or with others in worship and music and nature? And what does this tell you about how God made you and how you most naturally meet with Him? Number two, how is your celebration enhanced or curtailed by your ability to remember the past, live in the moment, or anticipate the future? Number three, when you see others celebrating God in a way that is new or foreign to you, what goes on in your mind and your heart? Number four, if there is a heaviness about you, an overly serious side, or an entrenched critical spirit, how might celebrating God affect those traits and move you into new areas of transformation, particularly in this season of Easter? Number five, 
Who do you know who really celebrates life and God? And what attracts you to them? Take a few moments as you consider this practice and how to implement it in this new liturgical season to write some reflections in a journal, a bit of reflection about some of these questions, asking the Spirit to make known to you how you are to engage this practice during this liturgical season. A few spiritual exercises for Easter, again taken from the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, Entry on Celebration by Adele Calhoun. Number one, identify the place you most readily connect with God. Is it in nature, listening to, to music, participating in corporate worship, solitude? Go to that place. What do you want to tell God about the joy you receive there? A second spiritual exercise. Intentionally place yourself in the presence of God. Recall all of God's gifts, provisions, guidance, and love toward you. To celebrate God's grace to you, write a song of celebration. Make a collage that represents your joy. Write a poem of praise. Play music and dance before the Lord in freedom. Or memorize a verse of praise and repeat it all through the coming days this liturgical season. Number three, familiarize yourself with the church calendar, in particular the season of liturgy we find ourselves in, the season of Easter. Consider the ways that you can go all out in your celebration of Easter, even though Easter Sunday has passed. Plan a way of celebrating God alone or with friends. Number four, attend to the people who give you joy in life. Ask God how you might celebrate them in a way that encourages them. Number five, plan to celebrate someone's birthday. Mother's Day or Father's Day in a way that reminds the person of how precious he or she is to you and to God. Number six, consider how God loves you. Read Zephaniah 3.17 over and over again. Then be still and listen. How is God celebrating you? Celebrate the God who celebrates you. Intentionally ask for the gift of appreciating yourself the way that God does. Take a moment right now in the midst of this podcast and listen to the last two minutes or so. Pick a spiritual exercise that stands out to you and just spend a few moments literally pausing the podcast following the instructions that I have just read. When you are done, take a moment and text a friend, a WhatsApp friend, or message a friend, a reflection, a word, or a phrase that the Holy Spirit has set on your heart about what you are learning about celebration. Do that now as an act of worship, celebration, and praise, celebrating the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is alive and you are as well. Take a moment right now before you jump back into this podcast and look in your phone contacts. Think about who in your life right now has just accomplished something significant. And what I'd love for you to do is actually use your phone for what it was meant to do. Be a connecting device where two voices literally hear each other. And I'd love for you to physically call somebody and encourage and affirm them in what they've done. Literally celebrate them for something they have done. Do that now as a way to spread cheer, spread joy, and really affirm someone in your life as you practice the celebration and the discipline of living joyfully, no matter how you feel, no matter what is going on in your life. Do that now. A meditation for Easter, entitled An Unexpected Resurrection, written by Chris Kamalski. Quote, 
I first stumbled across Eugene Bernard's most famous painting, John and Peter Running to the Tomb, several Easters ago. Like all great art does, Bernard's humanist portrayal of the frantic apprehension John and Peter felt while sprinting to the tomb of their rabbi and friend early Sunday morning moved me deeply, pulling back the curtain on the chaotic, messy reality that the resurrection of Christ must have been for his closest friends. Something about Peter's breathless hope, hand desperately clutching his heart, coupled with John's worried eyes, hands clasped in prayer, simply unravels me over and over again the more my gaze lingers upon Bernard's masterpiece. Have you ever considered the following? In the triumph of a joyous Easter hymn, dressed in our Sunday best, deeply relieved that the tense struggle of our Lenten fast, which culminates in the despair of Good Friday, has finally passed by, we often overlook just how closely our lack of faith mirrors the mixed, emotional, strangely muted response of disbelief from the disciples to the living, resurrected Christ, alive again in their midst. It's as if they, they cannot will themselves from their own power to hope again, the resurrection of Christ simply too unexpected for them to conceive. Perhaps this is one reason why Jesus went to such lengths to appear as intimately and normally as possible to his followers in the period following his resurrection. People who have had their deepest hopes dashed in despair need extra time to internalize something so surprising, after all. A cursory glance through the final chapters of each gospel supports this perspective and finds us joining John and Peter in the sprint towards a tomb that shouldn't be open and empty. Consider, Peter barges into Jesus' tomb discovers folded strips of burial linen, a direct callback to the resurrection of Lazarus a few weeks earlier in Bethany, and still requires a poignant personal restoration from Jesus, inviting him to embrace his leadership mantle in building the church. Consider Mary Magdalene, one of the first people to see the empty tomb, and a follower of Jesus so devoted that she sat at his feet listening to him, enraptured in thought is so paralyzed with grief that she doesn't recognize the risen Jesus standing right next to her until he gently calls her name. Consider, Thomas cannot fathom that the man who seemingly appeared to the other disciples is actually his Lord and God until he physically touches the wounds of Christ and thus Jesus returns to visit the disciples a second time specifically so that Thomas can do that very thing. Consider, it wasn't until Jesus reenacted a prior miracle of his, telling his disciples to throw their empty nets once again on the opposite side of their fishing boat to catch a large number of fish, and is then making his friends breakfast with this fresh catch, that several of the disciples finally know with certainty that he truly is their risen Savior and their risen Lord. John makes a point of noting in his gospel at this point that this was the third time Jesus had personally appeared to his disciples after being raised from the dead. And consider this. Cleopas and another unnamed disciple spend most of a day walking to Emmaus with Jesus himself, their spirits so downcast that they are completely unaware who is hiking right next to them. Even as Christ explains the necessity of a suffering servant through the scriptures plainly to them. 
In fact, Jesus stays late into the evening at their house, enjoying supper with these two, and it is not until Christ breaks bread that they recognize their Lord as having risen from the dead. What's the point? Resurrection is that terrifying, that confusing, that painful, and that unexpected that even the risen Christ himself has to go to extreme lengths to open the minds and hearts and eyes of his closest followers before they see and believe. Simple human behaviors such as logical reasoning, the touching of skin, eating a piece of fish, and calling a dear friend by name are required to overcome the deeply pervasive and yet patently false belief embedded within humanity that death is final and cannot be overcome. Living in a broken world still to be redeemed in fullness, we struggle to push through the scar tissue that encircles our hearts in fear, clouding the judgment of our minds. Our eyes see and yet still fail to believe. If all of this is actually true of Jesus, if it truly is, quote, impossible for death to keep its hold on him, as Acts 2.24 says, then how do we witness the resurrection of Christ in our own world, Jesus alive in our midst? We are so removed from the physicality of those first moments, the ability to touch his wounded side, to question his understanding of the Old Testament prophets, to see a miracle repeated once again. In all honesty, I wish I had a better answer for this all-too-human response. Rather than the quiet, solid faith of John the Beloved, I find myself sharing Peter's frantic confusion, Cleopas's nagging theological questions, and Mary's paralyzed emotional state, the resurrection simply too unexpected to comprehend, let alone internalize and believe. I find solace in the shadow of the resurrection in a few things, and in this I take hope. Number one. The patient gentleness of the risen Jesus to stick with his followers appearing over and over again until they finally saw and believed. And number two, the knee-jerk response of another frantic man earlier in the gospel narrative, confronted with the limitless power of Jesus telling him that everything is possible for him who believes. And what was his response? Quote, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's in Mark 9. The resurrection of Jesus was certainly unexpected, but the wellspring of power and trust available for us through this unexpected return to life is certainly not. It has always been there, hidden just beneath the surface, awaiting discovery. And so our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. A bit of a poem entitled Easter by George Herbert. Rise, heart, thy Lord is risen. Sing his praise without delays, who takes thee by the hand, that thou likewise with him mayest rise, that, as his death calcined thee to dust, 
His life may make the gold and much more just. Awake, my life, and struggle for thy part with all thy art. The cross taught all wood to resound his name who bore the same. His stretched sinews taught all strings what key is best to celebrate this most high day. And lastly, a story for children and a parable for adults. This is from a wonderful kid's book entitled The Dandelion Seed by Joseph Anthony. Find it online. Quote, it was autumn in the garden. All the flowers had died and dropped their seeds. Only one seed was left, a little dandelion seed who was afraid to let go. But the winter wind began to blow. The stronger the wind blew, the tighter the seed hung on until it felt the wind blowing right through it. Then the seed left the garden behind. It became part of the wind and was carried away. The world was bigger than the seed ever imagined. It was also more frightening, more lonely, and more beautiful. The more the seed saw, the smaller it felt. It wondered where it belonged. The seed landed when snow began to fall. It listened in silence as peace covered it like a blanket. Finally, spring came. Sunshine warmed the air and the soil, and the little seed began to grow tiny leaves and roots. Its leaves spread wide to gather sunlight. Its roots reached deep to drink fresh rain. Soon the seed flowered into the bright, delicate dandelion it was meant to be. It shared its green leaves with deer and rabbits. It gave sweet nectar to bees and butterflies. Then, almost overnight, the life that began as one little dandelion seed ripened into many. They each became part of the wind and were carried away, all except one. Don't be afraid, whispered the dandelion. The wind and the sun and the rain will take care of you. Let go and you will see. You will see. The end. Take a moment with your children or with yourself. And ask the Spirit how you need to see and believe in this Easter season. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah.